Hello, this is Melissa Hale Spencer, the editor of the Altamont Enterprise, here to introduce Joseph Betweiser, who spoke to us about a project he has been working on that won a Nobel Prize, and it's a project he continues to work on. A major prediction of Albert Einstein's 1915 general theory of relativity was confirmed over a century later through cutting-edge technology. The Nobel Prize in Physics last year was awarded to researchers at Louisiana State University who developed the Laser Inferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, known as LIGO. Joe was part of that project. We were put in touch with Joe through Al Breisch, their connection being the Helderberg Workshop, which Joe attended as a kid. He's 38 now. He grew up in Clifton Park, graduating from Shenandoah. He was interested in space from a young age and went to Cornell for a bachelor's degree in physics. His senior year, he studied general relativity with Kip Thorne, who talked about LIGO, and then he completed a PhD at MIT focusing on LIGO. Basically, LIGO is a new way to look at the universe through gravitational waves instead of light. LIGO was funded by the National Science Foundation and managed by Caltech and MIT. The initial LIGO detector was sensitive to only the strongest gravitational wave events, which are expected to happen once or twice a century. A major upgrade began in 2010 and was completed in 2014 with observations beginning the next year. The first detection of gravitational waves occurred on September 14, 2015. LIGO made the first observation of two black holes merging together. The black holes had masses of 29 and 36 times the mass of the sun. They merged to form a single black hole with a mass of 62 solar masses. In two-tenths of a second, energy equivalent to the mass of three suns was released by the merger of these black holes. During that brief time, the system released energy at a rate that was 50 times the energy output rate of all the stars in the entire observable universe. This merger of two black holes happened 1.3 billion years ago when the Earth contained only simple multicellular life. This is what it sounded like. In a recent phone call, Joe patiently explained for us in layman's terms some of the intricacies of his work, beginning with how LIGO works. It is literally the stretching and squeezing of space-time that then propagates. So what you can imagine is you imagine these two stars orbiting each other, the stretching space between them it propagates out uh, into the universe, um, which then eventually that wave front will pass the Earth. So you've got a stretching and squeezing of literally the distance between things. So if a gravity wave were to pass by me, mm -hmm. front to back, I would get alternatingly shorter and fatter than the taller and thinner very, very imperceptibly, a uh, very tiny amount. And so we're trying to use these gravity waves as messengers from these astrophysical events, these kind of collisions, like orbit, orbiting stars basically 
getting closer and closer until they collide. And at the point that they, they're, they're colliding, they're like moving at something like a good fraction of the speed of light, like almost half the speed of light. You've got really heavy masses moving really, really fast, and these produce the largest gravitational waves, which we can barely detect millions of light years away here on Earth. So the way we detect that gravity wave, so we're in observatory looking for astronomical events using gravitational waves as the medium instead of light. Uh, and the way we detect those gravity waves is with a laser interferometer. Okay, so if you imagine a laser beam as a wave, you, you've probably heard that you can treat light as a wave. Right. So a laser beam has this nice property that kind of all the photons are kind of, all the light's kind of in phase. Uh, so you can imagine the high points of all the photons line up and then and then as they propagate, the low points all line up and so forth. So you imagine this wave propagating. So you take that, that light wave. So it's completely different from a gravity wave. So you just have a light wave, a laser beam. You take it to a special mirror that's 50% reflecting, 50% transmitting, kind of like a silver mirror. Do you, like, Wait, see, just slow down a little. I'm not quite up with you. You take it to this mirror that's 50% what? 50% reflective. Reflective, The half okay. of light reflects. You, okay. you, have, you have a special mirror. It's at 45 degrees. So half the light goes straight through, then half the light goes a, a 90 degrees away. You know, okay. two beams, which are traveling like a L, down like an L. They're, they're okay. now, you've got two beams that are in sync. They're like going down this L. Send those two beams two and a half miles away, bounce them off basically 100% reflective mirrors, have them come back. So now this, this laser beam, which was in sync, if the laser beam has gone exactly the same distance down this L and back, Mm -hmm. The high points will, will line up. So they'll, they'll all be in phase. So since, and that, they'll basically just add up and all the light will come out of the interferometer. It, it, it's electromagnetic wave <laughs> in an electromagnetic field. So it's, it just adds up. So, so if it's gone the exact same distance, you get all the light out. If, however, a gravity wave will be passing and we're changing the effective length of one of the arms relative to the other, now they're no longer going to be in sync as they come back. Their phase is going to be different. Okay. And if it were, let's say, half a wavelength off so that now you've got like a high point is matching up with a low point from the other one, they cancel. You get no light out of the interferometer. So you put a photo detector at the output of the interferometer, something that can detect light. And if it's constant, nothing's happening. If you start to see a change in the amount of light coming out, then that implies that the length of the arms are changing, which implies potentially a gravitational wave is passing by. I read um, a blog where somebody had written about you yourself personally were in your, do you call it an observatory or a lab, um, when the universe chirped is how she described it. And it was at this critical moment that it was indicative of two black holes happening way, way, way back in time, and it had just traveled to you coming together. But could you just kind of tell me what that was about? Sure. Okay. So back on September 14th, uh, 20, well, 2015 now. Yeah. Um, that, uh, September uh, 14th, 2015, uh, I was actually so I was at the observatory. So we have two of these large interferometers, these two and a half mile long L-shaped interferometers, okay. one in Hanford, Washington, one in Livingston, Louisiana. Uh, I okay. worked at the Livingston, Louisiana one, and uh, I, was, I was at uh, doing calibration. Uh, so when we say 
that let's say the strain we measure from the gravitational wave is something like 10 to the minus uh, 21 uh, meters or something uh, per root hertz. Or basically, when we say how big the wave is, how 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 do we know that's true? I, I mm-hmm. kind of work on the calibration of like saying it's to this precision plus or minus 10 percent something or other. That is effectively what I was doing that night. Um, okay. And, and this that, is like a routine thing, is, thing you would regularly be doing. Well, this is like a- it was it was just before the observing run. So we we work in periods of upgrades to the infrared, trying to make it more sensitive, and then running for months or years at a time. And so okay. this is just before the start of our first observing run. Okay. Uh, it, I was uh, so. I was just finishing up. It was like 4 a.m. There were some other people on site also finishing up some physical environmental monitoring stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were also on site. And basically, we were, we were doing, we were working on the instrument, which meant you couldn't detect anything at the time. Mm-hmm. So I finished up my calibration stuff around 4, 4.30 a.m. Uh, the, pe- uh, the physical environmental monitoring people uh, were also losing steam. They, they had a GPS clock, which has lost sync. They didn't want to wait for it to sync up again, so they decided to head home as well. So we actually had left the site around like 4.30, 4.40 a.m. And the operator who was on duty had, we, we had left the interferometer in running condition. And about an hour later, after we had left and stopped messing with the instrument, when it was nice and quiet and we could actually detect, that first signal came through. Oh so, if we, so I was not actually on site. And I'm very glad I was not on site because then if I had been on site, I'd be working and probably preventing the detection. Yeah. So, so tell me how this fed into the project. I mean, I understand in like a really broad sense that it confirmed some of Einstein's theories, but could you kind of unpack that in the same way you <laughs> unpacked the LIGO and just tell me what, sure. you know, what exactly that meant? So that, that, that particular very first detection mm-hmm. uh, was a direct detection of gravitational waves. So we okay. knew gravitational waves existed. There had already been a Nobel Prize for the indirect detection, which is basically uh, it's called the Hulse-Taylor pulsar. Um, so back in the, ooh, the 60s? Okay. I want to say like 60s or 70s, something like that. A couple okay. decades ago. Uh, I forget the exact date. Anyways, they spent decades observing these two neutron stars orbiting each other, which one, one of which was a, a radio pulsar. And a uh, okay. radio pulsar basically is a star that's emitting these very regular uh, pulses that you can use kind of like a clock in orbit. And we knew, based on how they lost energy, that they were losing energy to gravitational waves. So, that, so we, we kind of already knew that. Uh, but this was actually using gravitational waves. Instead of inferring something about the gravity waves, we were using gravity waves to infer something about the astronomical object, um, which I think is an important distinction. Um, so it's more, we it's more what, directly. Go ahead. So you're, 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 you're using the gravity waves to infer about the universe rather than using the universe to infer about the gravity waves. Got it. Okay. Using, uh, which let us then see something which we, we didn't actually expect to see, which was what we might call two intermediate mass black holes. Okay, so we know kind of smaller black holes like solar mass or several solar mass black holes exist. We've seen them kind of eating dust and stuff and seeing the, the light emission from, like, the, di- the dust that falls in. And we also know that there's a really large, like, millions of solar mass black holes uh, at the center of our galaxy and at the center of many other galaxies. But what we saw 
was something like 230 solar mass black holes, heavier than like the typical ones we see in the galaxy, but not as big as these supermassive black holes, colliding to form a 60 solar mass black hole, which we also hadn't really seen before. So we had suddenly seen a population of black holes that no one actually expected to be there as kind of our first source. Mm. And then it turned out to be our second source and also turned out to be our third source. So suddenly we're seeing a population of these objects which nobody had expected. So the, the astrophysics was, uh, was very interesting coming out of that because now people have to think about, okay, what, how, how are we getting these, all these massive stars together to form these larger black holes to then form even larger black holes, uh, which is a very interesting question. At least from an astrophysicist's point of view. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, no, so, it's like how, how are these these stars coming together to form these larger mass? Anyway, so there, so that's what came out kind of like the first thing that came out of just literally just seeing these things. Yeah. There's also uh, the fact that we use computer simulation to actually generate uh, the waveform template. So when we see an event and it's basically causing our our arms to be Interferometer arms become longer and shorter in a very specific way. That tells us about how they're orbiting each other. It's telling us about their masses. It's telling us about their spins. And it's also telling us something about general relativity in the strong field regime. It's telling you that our predictions of how these gravity waves are generated is correct, which is based on general relativity. Um, and so we, we, we got another confirmation of general relativity in a regime that we've never been able to really probe before, i.e. close to a black hole. Hmm. So there, there's, there's general relativity out of that. There's astrophysics just coming from these black hole, black hole collisions. Then there's more recently, um, I don't know if you heard in the news, uh, I think it was August 17th. It was the 14th? Yeah, I think it's the 17th one. It was the neutron star, neutron star. Uh, in spiral, okay. we saw. So I black have not holes heard about are. Um, I'm sure you, you, know, you can probably Google it. Uh, binary neutron star. It was, it was August. Uh, August of this yeah, was, year. Uh, yeah, August of this year, August 17th, 2017. Okay. okay. Uh, and so, and that that was very interesting because, so black holes, by their nature, usually black holes don't emit light. So unless they're eating something else that's made up of matter and not another black hole, you're not going to see anything in light. So there was no chance for any of the, like a telescope or anything, or gamma ray detectors or anything to see these black hole, black hole merge. However, a neutron star is still matter, and it hasn't collapsed all the way down to a black hole. So on August 17th, we saw the merger of two neutron stars, uh, which we were then able to tell our uh, telescope and satellite colleagues to get hey, there's an interesting event over here. You guys want to go take a look? And within about eight hours, because it was on the kind of the wrong side of the planet for a bunch of telescopes, but eventually the Earth turned and they were able to look in that direction and they saw, uh, saw the collision. They saw the light emitting from these two neutron stars colliding into each other, uh, which is very interesting and was kind yeah. of the, the first optical observation of these things, in addition to being the first kind of gravitational wave observational things, and it confirmed a bunch of things about kilonovas or basically the, the, what happens when these neutron stars collide. Uh, and now they're saying that, for example, this is one mechanism to produce most of the heavier elements 
in the universe, things like gold, uranium, stuff heavier than iron, or more, or more uh, protons uh, than iron. So uh, do you have a sense going forward? How, how old are you? I am 38. 38? Oh, God, you're young. So do you have a sense <laughs> going forward, at like in your lifetime, what you hope you or your colleagues might be able to accomplish if you've already in this short span just made this sudden, you know, flurry well, of discoveries? So we're looking for more statistics. So, I mean, we, we, we're, we're still like less than 10. Actually, are we at 10? Yeah, we're still less than 10 events total observed. So we're, we're currently trying to upgrade the sensitivity of our instruments. So right now we're down. We're not observing right now. We, we, so basically our first observing one was from September 2015 through uh, January, I think, uh, 2016. So it was a very short run. Okay. And okay. then our second observing run was uh, November 20. 16 through August 2017. And so right now we're down again for upgrades trying to make the detector more sensitive. Um, we still haven't reached what's like the, no, what we told the National Science Foundation. Basically, the U.S. government, we told them that we could do X, we could do X sensitivity. We could get to see out X far, basically. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so they give us money because we're funded by the National Science Foundation. That we, we try to get the goals we told them. Uh, so we're down for upgrades and we'll come, be coming back up, uh, probably at the end of this year. Oh, I'm sorry, next year. Not, it's not the new year yet, but basically towards no. the end of, uh, 2018. 2018. Towards the end of 2018. Yeah. Okay. We'll be coming back up. Hopefully 20, 20, 30% more sensitive. And since if you can see out 1.2 times as far, you gain in volume because you're looking out in all directions in kind of like sphere. So it goes mm -hmm. in the cube. So that'll increase your, your rate by like, maybe 50% or so. Um, mm -hmm. As we want to get more statistics, uh, we want to see if we can see more of these uh, neutron star, neutron star collisions, see if we can see a neutron star black hole, see what happens when a neutron star gets ripped apart by a black hole, that kind of stuff. We're also looking for things that we might not expect, which we don't necessarily predict, but that you would only see in gravitational waves as opposed to light. Because uh, it really is a new way to look at the universe. Um, so there's always a possibility you'll, you, we'll, we'll see something we didn't have any any predictions for. Um, so I, I think so it, it, at least for, Go ahead. I'm sorry. What? No, no. no. Go ahead. You were saying um, it really is a new way to look at the universe, and it seems like it's also a new way of discovering the universe, is what I was going to ask you. You know, rather than theorizing, it's like you're getting physical data in order to to make your understanding happen instead of the other way around? Or does that not? Well, no, that, that's, that's always true. I mean, that's always like when Galileo first turned telescopes towards the heavens and looked at like moons and Jupiter and stuff. That, that's always been yeah. true. You, you're, you, we, we, I mean, we're, we're confirming some theories that people said, okay, if you have two neutron stars collide, then you'll have this kilonova effect which put off this light if we, go on a seat, if we like, were to catch one. And so that was confirmed. But then we saw these intermediate black hole, black holes, which we, we know that in principle could exist, but we didn't know how they, they would, what kind of channels you would, you would have to get the, the stellar mass into that one place. But now that we see a lot of them, there must be a pretty common channel and so forth. Uh, so 
So I, I think it's still it's still the same. Uh, make theories, test them, uh, make new instrument that lets you new tasks that you put out new theories and stuff like that. But it it's the same old synergy as, okay. as it ever has been. I don't see it as, as a new as a uh, a different way of doing science. It's just now letting you do, it's letting you do different science in kind of the same. I see. It's still it's, the it's, same it's, model. It's, still, it's just a different, different it's instrument. It's still a scientific method. Yeah, it still it it, seems different when you said we weren't expecting to find this, you know? It seemed like it was something oh yeah. rather than having, you know, you were having something you discovered inadvertently and then making sense out of it in the theory rather than the other way around. But I see what you're saying. There's always been technology, whether it was a simple that, telescope that, or that, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's always happened. So serendipity yeah. is, is, is a great thing for science. <laughs> Uh, getting lucky. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, I just so appreciate your talking to me. And I don't know, is there anything you think is important for, there's been just such a swelling of pride locally through the Helderberg Workshop grapevine since you were part of, you know, what ended up with the Nobel Prize that I, you know, that's what made me call in the first place. I don't know if you have any reminiscences over your days there or anything that, you know, inspired oh, the you. From... That... Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, enjoy, I always enjoyed my time up there. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, certainly, I, I mean, my, my mother had dragged me through there, like, since I was a little kid for science land. I was discovering all <laughs> stuff, but yeah. Mothers are good at that. So, yes. yeah. No, but that, it, it, well, it, was, it, was a, it was always a fun experience. Thank so, you so, so much. Yeah. I appreciate it very much. Thank you.